Hello and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast full of tips, tricks, and interviews with experts to help you enjoy being a supervisor. Here's your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining me today. Today, we are going to be talking to Kaylee Boysen Quinata. Is that, did I say that right? Yes, yes. You got it. Yes. Um, Kaylee is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a group practice owner. She owns Family Roots Therapy in Portland. We actually know each other because of a group practice owners group that got started on Facebook and we've all sort of collaborated together and it's been really great to have other business owners talking to each other about all of those pieces. But then in addition, being business owners who are also supervisors gives us like this extra layer of stuff that we get to talk about and and kind of enjoy working with each other on. Uh, Kaylee's background is in child and family therapy, and today we're going to be talking about thinking about supervision and helping supervisees uh, develop a systemic lens in how they're doing the work that they're doing. And I love this topic because I do a lot of individual therapy and I don't work with a lot of kids and families. So this is going to be a great opportunity for me to learn as we go. So, Kaylee, thank you so much for being here. Kaylee, oh, I'm going to mess it up every time. Kaylee. No, you got it, Kaylee. Okay, perfect. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) So I always start my podcast episode with um, asking folks an interesting question. And my interesting question for you is going to be, what do you consider the ultimate comfort food? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think for me, the ultimate comfort food is probably mac and cheese. Um, I love everything cheesy and carbs. And so that just meets all of the criteria right it there. It does. It's so warm and just like, oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Are you like a, an interesting mac and cheese fan? Like, have you tried lobster mac and cheese or like truffle mac and cheese? Or is yeah. it like more the, the purest? Um, I'm definitely an interesting mac and cheese person, but I won't say no to just the, you know, the usual, the old school craft mac and cheese either. But I, I definitely love a lobster mac and cheese or the, uh, we have in Portland, the, the bistro montage that does the, um, one that has like andouille sausage and spices and stuff. I'm into all of that too. Nice. Yeah, all of the above. Oh, <laughs> I knew I liked you. Mac and cheese is, is kind Thank of you. the ultimate in my opinion <laughs> yeah. as well. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your experience with supervisees um, and and we can kind of start wiggling down into that idea of a systemic lens. Tell me a little bit about where where you've come from having supervisees and, and what you're currently doing. Yeah, that's a great question. So I am an LMFT and I spent, uh, which is a licensed marriage and family therapist. So that's kind of my background is MFTs tend to have more of that systemic lens within our training. And I spent a lot of the early years of my career doing community mental health, uh, working with children and families, and then school-based. I was a school-based therapist in a middle school and high school. And then I, when I started, I then started my own private practice and then eventually grew that into a group practice. And then it kind of made sense to start supervising people from there, although I had started doing that a little bit previously in some of the community mental health roles. And so um, for me, a lot of my desire to start supervising was about the fact that the MFT community here in Oregon is so small. There's not very many of us. And so I really wanted to both find like-minded clinicians, but also to help develop younger clinicians or clinicians who are newer to the field 
uh, to help them kind of develop this lens also and just share this training and background that I have that I think uh, a lot of people don't necessarily come into the field with. And so for people who are interested in that, that was just, that's been a big passion of mine. And I just wanted to kind of share that with newer therapists. Yeah, we've got some interesting rules here in Oregon about like how many hours you have to do for for um, for getting your MFT in addition to what you would have had to do for an LPC. So I almost see a lot of people like flip to doing just being an LPC because it's harder to get all of the yeah. hours for the MFT part of it. And I, I can, see that too. Yeah. And I can kind of see too how some of the systemic lens might get lost in that um, that journey if they aren't really finding a, a supervisor who is keeping them focused in that way. Yes, I think that's very true. Yeah. So tell me like your definition of the systemic lens and, and how you kind of keep that focus in supervision. Yeah, for me, a systemic lens means that it's kind of the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is kind of how I describe it. And it's the idea that people exist within the context of systems. And so if you are talking about um, an individual making changes, a lot of it is around the idea that you can't only change one thing within that system. And so if you're talking about someone within a family system, if they're making individual changes, that's also impacting the whole family. Um, and and that uh, systems are also going to be oftentimes resistant to change or kind of wanting to keep things the same. And so also keeping in mind that while you have someone who might be in therapy and trying to maybe make some personal changes, there's also going to be pieces of that system that are going to be resisting that. Uh, that maybe the, the person's behavior or symptoms have been serving some kind of function within that system or benefiting others within that system. So I think when you take that broader lens, um, sometimes that's families, but sometimes that's larger social systems and structures too, that you're you're taking all of that into account when you're working with an individual or with a family. Um, and that you're just able to, I think, think about change differently um, and think about how your client maybe exists within some of these bigger systems and why their behavior symptoms might be present. Yeah. I immediately thought of that game. I don't know how many people played this game, but there was a game in youth group when I was younger where like you each hold on to different parts of a rope and your goal is to like try and like untangle and, and be one big circle at the end. Right. Oh yeah. I immediately thought of that of like, okay, you've got this teenager who is in therapy for their depression, and they're working on like how to have good boundaries and building their self esteem. And every time that they're growing in that way, it's pulling on some of those other people because they're twisting and turning and trying to get out of their little knot, right. But it affects everybody else in the family, it affects their friend circle, it affects all sorts of things, because they're moving and changing. And it might make it tighter on some other people, it might make it looser on some other people, it might you know, hurt in some ways, because other people may have liked it the way it was, or it was useful the way it was, or some of those pieces that kind of network of every change that I'm making is going to impact other folks. Yeah, I love that analogy. And I've also heard in when I was in graduate school, they use the analogy of a mobile a lot, like a baby mobile that you would hang above a crib. And the idea that it's balanced, right? But if you remove one piece of that, or you move one piece of that around, it throws the whole thing off balance. And then all the other pieces, you know, either they either have to reorganize to a different position to kind of, you know, rebalance that out, or it kind of stays hanging 
yeah. lopsided. And I always look kind of like that image too of, yeah. you know, you can't, it's this shift is going to kind of throw off the whole system. Absolutely. Yeah. When thinking about helping supervisees keep that in mind, what does that look like as a, as a tool that you use in supervision? Often with kids and families, that looks like involved, trying to involve those families. And obviously, to what extent we're involving parents or siblings or other family members, and that really depends on the family and on the child or teen's needs. Um, and But often that means involve, sometimes involving other members of that system so that you can more directly observe what's going on or more directly see the interactions as they maybe show up um, so that, you know, you're not just getting one piece of that or one person's report, but maybe multiple people's reports. Um, but even if you don't have multiple people in the room and you're just doing individual therapy, I think that looks like still asking those questions of, well, what does, you know, if I'm thinking of asking really solution focused questions, you know, not just what would this look like for you? What would success look like for you in the future? Or what would this look like when things are, resolved but what would your what would your mom notice is different about you what would your dad notice you know what would how would your interactions with your siblings be different and so maybe we're asking some of those questions about those relationships with all of those people um and that i'm asking those questions of supervisees too of what is this person's relationship like with their family you know how does um how has how has they how have they been maybe interacting with them or how has this you know you use the example of a teen with depression um, how has this depression maybe impacted um their their parents or how have how their parents interactions with them maybe impacted that depression and so i'm kind of asking questions to make those connections with those little that little rope that you described that might help supervisees kind of draw some of those conclusions too yeah i love that keeping in mind like both for the supervisee at the session itself saying like, let's, let's look outward from you and see what, what will change when we do this piece or how people might notice that piece, but also just in those supervision sessions saying like, keeping that in mind of saying, okay, you're giving me all this information about the client and tell me about that outlying circle. Like, tell me about who else is involved in that. When you do supervision, do you like, I, I know I have a format that I want them to present cases for me in. Um, do you have them like give you the, the outside circle of folks that are involved in that client's life as part of their like, this is who this person is and their system? I do sometimes we'll do case presentations and group supervision and I will have them more formally write out, okay, who else is in this system? Who are the client's supports? Uh, you know, what, how are the parents responding to kids' behavior if it's a kid? When it's more individual supervision, I will often, they just know from working with me that I'm going to ask those questions. <laughs> and so by the time we've met a few times, they know, they'll come in and they know, or they're like, oh, okay, I know I need to ask about that, or I know I need to follow up on this. So it's a little bit more informal, but I think just by them knowing that I'm going to ask about it kind of reminds them to, um, of like, oh, yeah, I need to ask about uh, this or I need to see what dad's perspective is on this if I haven't met with him or something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can absolutely see how being in supervision with you as you over the, over the first few weeks, like you're probably asking those same questions about every client to the point where they do get to a place of being like, oh, yeah, I should probably just know that. <laughs> I should probably get yeah. out of here and do that piece. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah, that's super. What do you think is kind of one of the the ways that supervisees may struggle with um, with navigating the family systems work that needs to be done? One of the big areas that I see a struggle with is in a, hesit- a reluctance to contact parents or a hesitancy maybe to contact parents. And I felt that too when I was a new clinician, so I completely understand where that comes from. And I think often there's a, kind of an, a piece of, especially for younger therapists, of feeling really intimidated by that or feeling like they maybe connect with teens really easily, but um, it, but feel like parents aren't going to take them seriously or, oh, I don't have kids, so who am I to get, be giving advice to parents, um, which my thought is I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily want you to be giving advice to parents, but more just that you're, you know, you're hearing their perspective. You're seeing these other parts of the of the family system. Um, so I think some that is often a big struggle, and I think it's also just intimidating. I think it's uh, it's hard to have multiple people in the room. It's really challenging in a different way to consider not just being attuned to your client, but also being attuned to what you know these other people in the room who might have reactions to what you're saying um there's a lot more opportunity for things to go off the rails or for someone to get upset or for there to be this conflict and so i think that it that feels intimidating i think to a lot of new therapists and i remember feeling that way too so i completely understand it but i think that's a lot of where client uh, where clinicians can struggle yeah, I think I, I could easily see where, uh, especially if you got started with a client, like a kiddo client, and the parents brought them in and said, we need therapy for Johnny, whatever. Um, why is it always Johnny? Why do we pick that name? Like, right. I, feel like <laughs> I feel like we need to come up with something way more um, <laughs> inclusive. But so yeah. they, they bring their kiddo in and they're like, we need help for, for our kiddo. Um, and then when we involve the system, yeah, there does feel like this piece of like, well, who's my client? Who am I trying to please here? What is going to happen? When I was um, running, uh, I was getting ready to run some groups for um, some teens with anxiety. The consultation I got on like my advertising and things was like, normally you write your content to the person who's coming to the group. But with teens, you have to write the content to the parent because the teens right. are probably not going to look up this information and say, I want to go to this group. Now, some are some teens absolutely self-advocate and good for them but a lot of times it's really that other that other element and and we have to find a way to like balance this space of like we're here for the kiddo and by helping the kiddo we're helping this whole family unit every everybody's anxiety is going to decrease because the parent is worried that their kiddo is you know not going to have the most fulfilling life Right. So we want to help decrease their stress so that we decrease the kiddos stress and everybody's less stress so we can live our happy little lives. Right. And I think that's an interesting component in thinking about multiple people in the room. Right. Because most of the time when I'm advertising about a group, I'm not in the room with all of those people having this conversation. Right. It's right. (laughs) I threw it out there on the Internet and hope for the best. Right. But in the room, what kind of what kind of uh, maybe tools do you use or ways that you do supervision help people to start kind of navigating their own distress so that they can tolerate whatever happens in the room with multiple folks? Yeah, I often use the framework of it's interesting that you talked about needing to kind of market to parents or like have that content reach parents because I feel like it's very similar with therapy of yes, your the client might be your child or the child or teen. Um, but all, really, in any family system, parents hold quite a bit of power 
and control. They're the ones paying for sessions. Typically, they're the ones driving the kid and making sure that they're there. And I think if you don't have that buy-in from parents, it's pretty likely that they might, uh, they may terminate services early. They may not want to continue their kid coming. Um, and so I think I often frame it for supervisees that way of if you can build this relationship with a parent, not, not only are they seeing the benefit of therapy and they're seeing maybe why their child should keep coming, but all, and, and they're trusting you as the therapist, but also that you as a therapist are only seeing this kid once a week in an office and then they're going home to this parent the rest of the week. And so if you can get buy-in from that parent of translating some of what the kid's doing in therapy to doing that at home, then I think there's a, a much higher likelihood of that change being longer lasting and being able to have more of an impact at home, which is reducing the parent's stress. It's reducing the kid's stress. You know, so I kind of frame it that way with supervisors of talking about the benefit of doing this and the, and why, even though it might feel hard or intimidating, you know, why that we're, why we're taking this approach. Yeah. Just even what resonated for me was by having the parents on your side, your, the kiddo, your client is going to get better faster. I mean, yeah. but by, by having them buy in, by having them want to be a part of what you're doing in therapy, by practicing all that at home, your kiddo is going to get better care ultimately. So we have to continue to like keep keep on those people in the know of what's happening and work with them in that space. I'm, I'm absolutely remembering a, a supervision session where um, where my supervisee was like, you know, the parents are not connecting with me on this. Like I, I recommended this thing. We tried it in session. It worked really well. But the parents are like, no, we don't need to do that. How how do I how do I navigate that? Uh, what would you say if the parents are like, no, we don't want to do what you're recommending? Mm -hmm. That comes up a lot, definitely. <laughs> and so often what I recommend is spending a little bit of time um, trying to see where the parent is coming from on that. And what I found very often, often parents have their own trauma, their own struggles. They maybe have their own beliefs that came from their parents. They might have had negative experiences with therapists or with uh, child and family services in the past and be kind of hesitant to trust some of these recommendations. So often I recommend trying to get a little bit into, obviously you're not the parent's therapist. And so it's a little bit of a fine line between not being the parent's individual therapist, but also um, kind of understanding where they're coming from and, you know, where is this, what is it about this that makes you uncomfortable? Um, often I use a lot of role play and that I think sometimes can help uncover some of that too, of, you know, let's, if you're saying, telling me that this isn't working at home, let's role play it out and let show me what you do at home yeah. with your kid. And, you know, I'll even, the kid, kids love it and get into it. Like, no, really stomp. Show me what you would do at home. Do you stomp around? Would you throw your toy? Like, I want to see the realistic mm -hmm. response here. And I think sometimes that helps it click for me too of, oh, okay, maybe a parent um, is misinterpreting what I'm saying or misunderstanding what I'm asking them to do. And so sometimes actually role playing out the steps or having kind of getting into a little bit more of like, where is the disconnect here, I think can really help a lot. Yeah. 
rebuild the rapport by seeing the parent and validating their experience in that not scenario. I think about like when this person is, is twisting and trying to like go under whatever of like pausing and saying, look at where everybody else's hands are. See what's what's twisting. That person's hands are practically turning blue because of how much you're needing to yeah. pull on this rope. So this isn't going to work this way. We can't sacrifice their hand for you to get free. So let's right. pause and, and do this other piece, right? It's seeing where people are at and then being able to like make some sort of shift. And if we can't see where they're at because they can't explain it or they just aren't getting what we're saying, role play. I know that that is always like the dreaded word for therapists and for, for yeah. especially newbie therapists or supervisee therapists. Uh, but it is so so helpful when we can when we can do it right and we can help them kind of get really in touch with this piece and we can see what's going on in their mind and how they're responding and and what they're getting from what we're saying yeah absolutely yeah are there any other tips that you have for supervisees um that you think are are specific to working with families or working with kids Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the big ones for me is just to not be afraid of conflict or not to shy away from that conflict because I think it's going to happen much more so in couples therapy and family therapy than it will in individual therapy. And I think oftentimes what I hear from new supervisees is, well, I don't want to, I don't want to upset the the parent. I don't want to upset the client. You know, I don't want them to start arguing or, you know, and often my thought is it's actually a great thing to be able to see them arguing. It's a, you know, I think it actually gives you a ton of information. Obviously you don't want to just let it go on for a whole hour and let them sit there and, you know, bicker back and forth at each other. But often it gives you a lot of insight into, okay, this is the pattern that's happening at home. And so where can we interject or where can we try something different? Uh-huh. Um, and I will often use that language with families too. Of okay, you, this so I'm get, seeing a really good picture now of what happens at home, and so we're going to try something different yeah. in here so that you're not just repeating what you're doing at home. And but I think often that feel for new supervisees, they often feel a lot of hesitation around that challenging or feeling like oh I don't want to, I don't want to upset them or I don't want to upset them. And obviously. I think that comes from a good place. You obviously don't want to go too far in the direction of, uh, you know, upsetting people or provoking a lot of conflict. But I think it's not necessarily helpful to shy away from that conflict either. And it can be a really helpful and beneficial for a therapist to actually see some of some of that play out in the room, too. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. The difference between I am provoking this and it is going to be detrimental to my client and I need to witness this so that we can figure out what comes next, right? Like there is some <laughs> part of that process where really we we need them to be present in the moment doing kind of what they normally do a little bit because we can't be in their home seeing it when it happens right. out there. We ha- there's, there is some piece yeah. of, instead of telling me about the fight that you had over the weekend, like sometimes I kind of need to witness what that fight looked like a little bit. Not the whole thing, I really don't need three hours, but... Like right. I need to see enough to where I really get, you know, how much this is impacting you or how much this is, you know, what's happening with that. So I love that, that element of it. And I think that as a supervisor, you know, helping them identify when they have the, 
that like uh, conflict avoidantness in them, whether it's in a place of like, I just don't want to make things worse or, you know, I don't want them to have this whole knockout drag out in front of me um, or, you know, or for other reasons that helping them recognize like, okay, how much of that is your stuff? That is Mm -hmm. your buttons. You don't like to be around conflict. How much of that is really it's not beneficial in this moment to go into that level. Like I think about parents who come into a child's session, right? And then they start bickering with the child present. Like that's a really great time to be like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Like we need to we need to make sure that this setting is appropriate for what we're doing here. Versus like in a couple session, clearly, if the, if the adults need to have a moment, like that's a different piece. Right. But like helping supervisees kind of parse out like, when is this good? When is this planful and purposeful? When is this now moving into harmful territory and we need to protect our client right. or we need to protect in another way is a really important element of how our supervisor brain has to keep kind of tabs on what's happening in the family and what's happening in those sessions and prepare I feel like I prepare our supervisees for that because I think sometimes we're in a very report based system, right? Where we -hmm. can't necessarily like make sure they know all the things before something happens, right? So we hear about it and we're like, ah, well, next time maybe we need to dot, 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 right? Or whatever it is, or whether you do video supervision or any of those pieces. But I love the idea of when we start thinking about the developmental perspective of an intern or a new licensee or whoever to be in your practice of like what kinds of things we want to make sure we talk about enough at the beginning so that over time when those things do come up, they've got some of those tools in the background of their mind, right? And I feel like conflict is one of those ones we would want to have kind of early on of like, let's talk about this here before we get into the stages where that really shows up in your sessions. Right, exactly. And I think the other piece of that is we all as therapists, we all have relationships with our own parents or families that are going to influence this. Uh, And so I think sometimes bringing that into supervision also or, or or knowing a little bit of that with our supervisees too can be helpful just because sometimes there's a, I think a really strong urge to be protective of certain family members if maybe you identify with you know with their role in the family and so I think just being really aware of all of those pieces too of sometimes your reaction to that conflict that might be because of a role that you played in a similar conflict in your family or you know uh, there's obviously all of those pieces to kind of keep in mind too. Yeah. How do you, how would you suggest to another supervisor about how to kind of help uh, supervisees understand that dynamic of really like, you know, maybe some of that internal alignment with a, with a particular party in a family or a unit um, and like help them notice that for themselves? Yeah. I like to ask those questions kind of how you just did of who in this family system are you aligning the most with? Who You know, who are you feeling the most? Um, who are you feeling like you have the most rapport with right now? Who are you feeling like you have the least rapport with or you really struggle to connect with? And, um, and just asking kind of open-ended questions of why do you think that is? And I'm not necessarily going to ask supervisees to share stuff that they don't feel comfortable sharing with me in supervision because again I'm not their individual therapist but I may ask some of those you know what is what about this what about this relationship maybe feels difficult for you with this person or is does this remind you of anything in your history or is there some can maybe some counter transference coming up and I think just opening those discussions 
sometimes can be helpful um, while also making it clear that you don't have to share anything personal with me as your supervisor that you don't feel comfortable sharing, but just think asking them to reflect on maybe who they're aligning the most with or who they are maybe more naturally aligning with and who they might struggle more to align with just so that they can be aware of where they may need to focus some attention. Cause yeah. I think we all have that. That's not a bad thing. I, I'm going to more naturally align with certain types of clients. Um, and someone else might more naturally align with a different type of client. Um, and that's okay. I think it's just building our awareness around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there there is something really beautiful too in how you are continuing to separate out. Like I'm not your individual therapist supervisee. Like you don't need to go deep into your family yeah. dynamic with me. Um, <clears throat> and I do need you to think about this because this does impact the work that you're doing. Um, so whether you're in your individual therapy or not, or whether you share with me any of this stuff or not, like you need to be thinking about it in this way. And I think that is so important for us as supervisors to keep um, coming back to of like, yes, we are part of their journey as a clinician. And part of that journey is we need to tap into some of those areas that are sensitive or too compassionate or, you know, bad boundary Mm -hmm. setting or whatever it is. And instead of trying to do therapy with it, we may need to assign them things like, hey, I want you to go think about this for yourself this weekend. Or like there have been times where I've looked at somebody and said, you know what, I think you need your own therapy right now. Like, yeah. uh, you know, that's now a that's now a supervisory requirement that in order to continue on in, in what we're doing, I need you to be in your own therapy and working some of this out because it's it's doing some potential damage to your ability to do this career for a long time. And my job is to help you launch to do this career for as long as you desire to do it. Um, yeah. And uh, and and trying to really find that that good space of as it sometimes it's hard to wear the supervisor hat without having like the therapist hat creep in a little bit. Yeah. So so doing that work of kind of re-reminding them as you're talking about it, saying things like, like, you don't need to tell me all of the details here, but I do need you to think about this so that, that so that you're kind of realigning your supervisor hat and being like, I'm only wearing that right now. Therapist hat, go away. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sometimes exactly. I really do want those hats. So like in, in session, I can just be like, I'm putting on this, but no, like stay here. I like that visual. Yeah. Now I'm putting on this hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's an interesting question. And maybe this is going a little off topic, but I, I kind of, I'm interested now that I thought about it of being a, a boss at a group practice and having supervisees. Do you supervise people at your office? I do. And that is a challenge sometimes because I know not everybody does that, but that definitely is a challenge sometimes is that sometimes I am wearing that boss hat and sometimes I'm wearing that supervisor hat. And those are two different things that sometimes conflict with each other. And so I I try to just be really intentional with my supervisees when we start of saying, you know, I want to se- intentionally separate those two things and protect your clinical supervision time to be clinical supervision time and even even if we're using some of that time to talk about some more admin e practice things I want I still want to make that kind of a separate thing where I'm saying okay let's kind of deal with this first and then we're going to get into the clinical supervision um, so that they're I'm kind of clearly separating those two roles yeah because it does get tricky it yeah. does get very messy. Those are actually probably the hats that I want more than anything. The therapist hat, I feel like I'm pretty good at not letting it slip on too much. Mm-hmm. But the administrative supervisor and the therapy supervisor, the clinical supervisor, those are the yeah. hats that I think get the most messy. Because there are things that 
that, uh, you know, just in general are administrative things that do fall under the camp of clinical supervision because they're just stuff, right? And then there are things yeah. that are administrative supervision that are clearly not clinical supervision that we do need to like figure out, like, when am I meeting with you about that thing? So I'm not taking yeah. your clinical time. And when am I just doing clinical and not letting that bleed into other things if not needed, you know? And I think that's definitely an, an area that's a struggle. I did a lot mm -hmm. of um, a lot of like ethical consideration about that piece of like whether or not it was ethical to be an administrative supervisor and a clinical supervisor. And, and I, I did decide to go ahead and be both um, for the moment. Eventually, I'd love to hire another supervisor at my practice. Uh, but those are few and far between and they're hard to find yeah. um, to do that work. So uh, so I did decide to go ahead and do it. And part of that decision-making process was that I wanted to try and create very clear siloed experiences of like, this is when I'm giving you your administrative supervision, your administrative feedback on how you're doing in your job. And then these are your clinical supervision where like, I'm not going to talk to you about any of that other stuff. And, and in the yeah. meeting, I might even look at you and be like, nope, that's for that other meeting we have. So like, Put that on your to-do list to talk to me over there or shoot me an right. email about it that's like that I can deal with as a boss boss. And then let's stay let's stay focused on your clients. Let's stay focused on your experience as a clinician. Let's stay focused on your growth in this section. And then when I do the the evaluations for them as they're um uh, getting licensed and whatever, like we have those meetings as part of their clinical supervision, because that's part of you clinically getting towards your licensure. That's not an admin -y thing, because um, we're talking about how you've grown and all of those pieces, but they have a separate, um, like, evaluation for being my employee. Um, so I really right. try and like, if anybody were to question, I wanted to be like, here's how I do it. And it's very clear. And I've got all these lines, because I don't yeah. want it to be too messy. And I'm sure I probably am going overboard. I tend to go overboard um, on those pieces. But I just I really want people to value that clinical supervision as being yeah. something different than just your boss telling you you're doing a good job, right? Right. I really appreciate that. And I try to clearly delineate that too. There's times I could probably do better at making those completely separate, but absolutely. I think that's important also. Yeah. I think the hardest part for me always ends up being that I want them to like feel like they can ask me anything, anytime, anywhere. But then sometimes what yeah. they want to ask me about is all the admin stuff during their cl clinical supervision time. And I have such a hard time being like, no, don't talk to me about this right now. I just want to be like, sure, we can right. talk about whatever you want. And then I'm like, no, wrong hat. <laughs> like... Yes. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, switching hats. <laughs> yeah, I may end up buying some of those hats at some point. Like that, that may be a thing. We'll see. Yeah, I like that idea. Cool. Well, anything else that you feel like, gosh, if I get off this podcast, you know, and people don't know this thing, I should probably tell them about um, working from a systemic lens. Oh, man, I'm sure as soon as I sign off, I'll think of something. <laughs> but right now in this moment, I can't think of anything else. I feel like we covered a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like we got a lot of really good snippets of like, this is an important thing and, and make sure we're thinking about this this way. So I feel good about it. Well, tell us a little bit Great. about some things that you would like to plug. Sure, absolutely. So the main thing right now is just my group practice here in Portland is Family Roots Therapy. Uh, we have an office in Northeast and Southeast Portland. So we provide uh, we provide counseling for kids, teens. Uh, we've got some folks who see the little, little early childhood zero to six range too, which is uncommon. 
Um, and then some new parenting kind of work too. Uh, I have some other things in the work around uh, in the works around doing some parenting classes and like kind of parenting education and more on that side of things. But I don't have them super put together to share out in the world yet. But that's something that is uh, up and coming. So, um, so yeah, people can just visit my website at familyrootstherapy.com and there's a contact form and you know that that can uh, get a hold of me and just learn more about the practice too. Very cool. And and that is a plug to everyone to keep an eye out for those parenting classes and things if you've got those needs or if you want to refer somebody for them. Um, all of that information will be up on the show notes page for today. So I'm uh, I'm excited to, to see how you grow. And maybe when those classes get up and running, we can have you on again to just share a little bit more about that element and how that's helping people. So that'd be really cool. All that'd right. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, I think we got quite a few little morsels and takeaways that'll help people uh, think more from that systemic perspective. I can even think about things in my own practice that I'm like, I should ask some of those questions a little differently to help my people kind of make some of those connections um, in a way that's going to be mutually beneficial to to my clients and the, and the families uh, that they serve. So uh, if you would like to learn any more about uh, this topic or uh, want to uh, see the show notes, you you can visit us at supervisionsmorgasbord.com. You can also drop requests for topics or a message for us to wrestle with on another episode. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and we'll be back next time. Have a great day, folks. Here are some of the takeaways that you can implement. Number one, teach your supervisee to involve the family. Here are some questions that Kaylee asked and that I kind of expanded on that you can create a cheat sheet to give to your uh, supervisees. First question, who all is in this family circle? Second question, how does this client's mental health impact each of those people? Third question, what are the outcomes that each member is looking for from change in the client? Fourth question, how are the behaviors of the rest of the family circle engaging in the client's growth or keeping them stuck? Adding these four questions to your repertoire of questions to help supervisees really understand that systemic dynamic is going to help tremendously to give the client some growth. If you can add those questions to what you're asking the supervisee, the supervisee can then start figuring out and asking those questions to the client and their family so that we can really get some good impact going on inside of this family system. Another tip that you can take away today is to figure out the best way to increase your role play with your supervisee which hopefully will mean that they will increase their role play with their clients, right? We need to demonstrate by doing in, in the world of role play. So it might be something as simple as like, hey, why don't you show me how it looked when you gave this feedback to your client? Let's flip positions in the room. Show me what you were doing, how you sat, all of the pieces. I wanna, I wanna get some context. It might, it might be something like, um, okay, so you told the, the parent this thing, uh, can you can you kind of remember what you said or maybe maybe share with me how you said it to the family and and give me, give me some opportunity to get some context around that when Kaylee gave the story about having um, having to see kind of that uh, that fight between the family members or this type of thing or that the client was you know throwing toys all over the room when they tantrumed or whatever that was so beneficial to really understand how much 
what happens in their real life um, doesn't get translated into the room or it gets over exaggerated or under exaggerated. And so it's really nice to use those uh, role plays uh, with our clients specifically, but also to gather that same information from our supervisees. Our third tip today is to figure out some ways to help your supervisees explain how involving parents benefits kids. So this is an, an area where it's it's more about repetition and role play, right? Where we are saying, hey, we know this is beneficial cognitively, and how do I explain it to a parent who's not ready to implement what I want them to implement? So this is a great opportunity to have them come up with a, a clear um statement or elevator pitch for like, hey, this is why I'm doing this thing. This is what is appropriate. This is where this is going to give them some of that meat on that piece of it. So thinking about your clients, take a moment to just maybe write down the script of what you would say, and then you and your supervisee can tweak it. So those are the three tips I'm giving you today that are your takeaways. You can find out more information on our website with the show notes for this episode. If you are interested in being a guest on the show or have questions that you'd like answered, you can always drop me a line on the website, which is drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast. Thanks, everybody. This has been Supervision Smorgasbord with Dr. Tara Sanderson. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us at drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast and on all social media at Dr. Tara Sanderson. Thank you, and we will see you next time.